Welcome to the DNVGL Talks Energy podcast series. Electrification, rise of renewables and new technologies supported by more data and IT systems are transforming the power system. Join us each week as we discuss these changes with guests from around the industry. Welcome to a new episode of DNVGL Talks Energy. My guest today is Xiaodong Wang, Senior Energy Specialist of the World Bank and lead author for the Energy Chapter of the World Development Report 2010, Development and Climate Change. Welcome, Xiaodong. Thank you. Xiaodong, we want to talk about the role of banks and governments and how they can and have to understand renewables and related technologies better to support the energy transition. But before we go there, it would be great if you could introduce yourself as a person and World Bank. Okay, sure. Thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, again, my name is Xiaodong Wang. Um, I work at World Bank Energy, um, we call global practice. Uh, so I've been working clean energy, energy efficiency field for the past uh, 20 years. And now mostly focus on Asia and a little bit in uh, East Europe as well. And uh, so World Bank, uh, um, we um, we are basically the World Bank Group. Basically, is the lead leader in the climate finance in the multilateral development world, and uh, uh, we are very proud that we financed twenty billion dollar uh, in climate investment last year, and that's about thirty two percent of entire portfolio, and that actually exceeded the twenty eight percent that we committed the target by 2020. That has not been easy. So, uh, so I'm very proud that uh, uh, being part of the World Bank group and the energy team uh, to work on clean energy, energy efficiency in Asia. Very good. Xiaodong, one thing which I would also like you to elaborate on is the different roles World Bank as well as IFC are playing um, in this. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? Sure. Uh, so our World Bank group actually have World Bank, IFC, and MIGA, the guarantee group. Uh, the World Bank is mostly working with the government. So we are like the policy. So we're proud of like we are the policy advisor and we are the uh, knowledge bank. And we are also sort of a lender, right? But we, we do the solvent guarantee to the government. Uh, but IFC is our private sector arm. So they directly lend the private investor, private sector, without the solvent guarantee. So that's mainly the, the, the primary difference. Yeah. When we look at the energy transition ahead, what has to happen to mitigate, limit climate change? There's a tremendous build-out we need in renewables, uh, mainly solar PV, but also onshore wind and offshore wind. So. How can the finance sector, how can banks support that transition, which will cost a tremendous amount of money? So first of all, you know, I'm a firm believer that uh, policy drives financing. Because without the policy, financing is just on the supply side, right? So first of all, you need to really have the effective, conducive policy to put into place uh, that for, to create this enable, enabling environment to attract investors and also to create market demand. Uh, so for Southeast Asia region, for example, if we look at the global trend, the investment for renewable energy already exceeded the investment for fossil fuel. But this region, most of the countries go the other way, other direction, right? Where the coal ramping up very quickly and renewables still pretty much lagging behind the global scene, 
right? Uh, so it's really important to put in place this effective policy. Specifically, will be the uh, sufficient tariff level with long-term power purchase agreement, right? Provide a certainty for the investors. I think there's a myth in the region that renewable is more expensive. That's why people go massive, go coal. Uh, but in reality, that's no longer the case, right? Thanks to the dramatic cost reduction for the solar, for the renewable over the recent years. Uh, so for example, we have seen increasing number of countries uh, have achieved uh, three to six cents per kilowatt hour for solar PV throughout competitive auction schemes. So in particular, in China, India, and South Africa, those are the coal country, right, where coal dominates. And solar PV already competitive with coal. There's no need even for subsidy. I think this is where the Southeast Asia needs to learn to borrow from this experience to put into these effective policies like renewable to take off. Right. I mean, you mentioned India just now, and it's quite incredible that they might actually leapfrog coal in many areas because they can deploy solar in, in large scale and, and, and to very competitive prices. Um, one thing we hear from financiers, maybe rather like equity financiers, uh, who are still very interested also in renewables, is that they have money available, but they've struggled to find bankable projects. And that also sometimes comes back then to regulation. When you look around in, in this region, Southeast Asia, um, maybe twofold. What would be your wish you see more? And do you see some good examples in, in some countries supporting the development of renewables? Yes. Uh, so first of all, um, after you put into the policy, right? If I see something more, that will be more policy, you know, to to drive the demand. Because, like you said, uh, we as a banker, uh, this is the the sort of number one challenge we face whenever we set up a clean energy financing facility. There's no deals. Right. So in this region, there's no lack of liquidity, really. And we put in lots of those projects as well. Uh, but really funding the bankable deals is really important. So one side is this uh, policy, you know, drive the, the demand. But once you have the policy for most renewable projects, with a few exceptions, you know, solar, concentrated solar power, it's new, geothermal with the risk, rooftop PV. So with few exceptions, but mostly for solar, onshore wind, uh, once you have the effective policy, finance usually will follow. Uh, but for those new technologies, for energy efficiency particularly, for example, um, it's really that uh, there's a risk, right? There's a geothermal drilling risk. There's a um, credit risk for small, medium-sized enterprises, particularly for energy efficiency for rooftop solar PV. So, and the, and the banks um, are particularly notorious, they are most risk averse, right? So this is where I think we um, and the public funding, you know, we as a multilateral bank and public funding come in, that small the money, so for example, risk sharing, uh, a partial risk guarantee can share the risk and that can leverage tremendous amount of private and commercial financing. And we also do what we call credit line, you know, our money goes through local banks that they can learn it by doing and then can leverage their funds and the mainstreaming clean energy uh, investment in these banks. So we have some of these instruments, we have done those. Uh, so some example in uh, Indonesia, we have done big on geothermal uh, guarantee approach, our concessional financing approach. 
And uh, in Vietnam, we recently started energy efficiency credit line. And uh, that's based on some of the examples we have elsewhere, like in China. Mm. We have energy efficiency financing with local banks that leverage our World Bank money eight times. We did $3 billion investment with one project. And then the bank, from beginning, not knowing what energy efficiency investment looked like, in the end, used their own money you know, to mainstream, uh, become a mainstream business line. So, so these are the changes we have seen. Right, so it's about getting used to the way finance is, is deployed to these new technologies. Yeah, because the banks feel, you know, they always say, oh, clean energy is for social, it's for environment, right? We are commercial, we are here to make money. But they don't know that actually renewable energy, clean energy, energy efficiency, uh, not only you know, good for environment, it also can make money and have very low default. So that's why when we do this risk sharing, when we do this credit line with the local banks, through this learning by doing process, they realize that this is a profitable business. So uh, it's basically about banks and financiers getting used to how to invest in these new technologies? Yes. So, you know, most of the banks we run into uh, often say, you know, these clean energy projects are uh, for environment, for social causes, uh, we are a commercial entity, we are here to make money. So I think it's really important for them through this learning by doing process, they understand that these clean energy projects are profitable, they can make money, and uh, also good for the environment. And they also have low default as well. Uh, so so um, through our uh, operation, our project on risk sharing, risk guarantee, and through these credit lines to local banks, I just give example, and uh, they really, uh, uh, you know, through doing, learning by doing, they really understand then, you know, these projects are, are, are good for their bottom line. You raised a very interesting point just now with saying we are not social, we are commercial. And it's interesting because if you look back maybe 10 years or so, we were maybe the people who wanted to save the world when we talked about renewables, and it didn't really pick up because it wasn't maybe financially viable or it wasn't a good business case, it was more expensive. Now it has become cheaper in many cases than conventional generation. But what we still see is also utilities being worried about what happens to their grid if they have a large intake of renewables. So there's a lot about building the awareness in the region how these things can be done. What, me, what strikes me always is we see all these examples from Europe that we sometimes have 70% renewables in a German grid or something. So it seems to be doable. But what do we have to do to make people understand that this technology can be adopted and is technically possible? Yeah, so it's very typical. Um, uh, we actually just did a, a workshop on that exact topic in China several weeks ago. So it's very typical that you see this different stage of countries, right? When they start as renewable, particularly we talk about variable solar and PV, and uh, solar PV and wind, right? And the utility will be resistant, right? That resistant is not just awareness, right? It's also, you know, when the, when the renewable, or especially distributed, the generation online, it hurts their bottom line, getting away from sh their share of the market. Right. So so you see this strong resistance. 
Uh, and then when the country, the, the renewable shares start to grow, uh, you see that the renewable, the, the utilities realize that they have to get on the train, otherwise they get left out in the market. So then they start to be more embrace this idea. So you, you see these changes almost every country, you know, phase by phase. Um, so, so at the low share of this variable renewable, there's really, we have no, we have seen no evidence really to have um, a major impact on the stability, the security of the grid. Uh, but when the shares start to grow, and yes, many things need to be done, right? Uh, so, so there's a technical solution uh, in terms of storage, for example, battery storage, heat storage, uh, and uh, you know, pump storage, and make the, the generation more flexible, you know, with more gas, you know, make it more flexible. And then there's on the transmission side, with more flexible in terms of regional integration. You know, so there are technical solutions, there's a regulatory solution to get this done. But the fact is that we just visited even in China, Qinghai province, they did 100% renewable to the grid in straight nine days. And then we have the Denmark and Germany, all this European experience that is technically doable. I think it's really uh, to bring on the, the, the utility need to change their mind because this is the train left the station that they have to get on board. In conferences like here, the Singapore International Energy Week, uh, we talk a lot about advances in technology, digitalization, everything. One thing which I'm missing a little bit is this awareness of the urgency. So our own energy transition outlook uh, came up with a carbon budget which is way beyond the 810 gigatons which we thought would be healthy for the world. Um, and there was recently, beginning of October, a UN report which kind of said that we have 12 years to make a real impact. Now looking again into this region here in Southeast Asia, we see the primary energy demand peaking somewhere in 42 and um, the increase in CO2 emissions also going or increasing beyond 30. So it's kind of, we have a very joint responsibility here to make it better. What, what would you say is, for example, World Bank's contribution? What can you do to do even more than the great successes you showed at the beginning? So first of all, um, like you said, um, you know, we all talk about two degree, 1.5 degree. Uh, if we continue on current path, that's almost impossible now. And uh, we are heading to a six degree world. And what does six degree means? Uh, you know that uh, from ice age to now, the difference is six degree. So that we're heading to a disaster, you know. So, so the urgency is definitely right there. Uh, but like you said, you know, um, uh, we discussed, you know, some region, in, particularly here, you know, right here close to home, uh, many of the Southeast Asian countries still not only the absolute amount of coal going up and the share going up, right? We look at, uh, we now have this Energy Transition Asia Initiative, we look at six countries in Asia, that count about 75 to 80% of the new built coal capacity in the world is right here in this region. Mm. Um, so, so it's really um, the time to act is now. Right. So as a World Bank, we um, 
uh, again, like I mentioned, for example, we have this energy transition initiative where we're helping these Asian countries uh, with concessional financing, with policy advice, uh, technical assistance, uh, um, and uh, you know, and, and this uh, uh, capacity building, with, and also together with our lending, right, to helping them to reverse this trend, uh, to you know, through policy advice, for example, pilot solar auction, and then to scale up renewable energy, and with uh, together with concessional financing. And also on the energy efficiency side, I think it's always like a forgotten orphan, right? There's nobody mentioned about it. But if you look at IEA, look at these scenarios, it's provide more than half of the emission reduction potential. Mm -hmm. And it's the cheapest option. So, so from both end, energy efficiency, clean energy, uh, we are trying to do more. And we recently also announced that there's a battery initiative. We're going to do a billion dollar on battery. And that hopefully can drive down the cost, helping the market drive down the cost and leverage more uh, private financing uh, to have a more breakthrough on the new technology as well. That leads me to one more question, what you just said. And so World Bank, we talked about a lot of investment going into energy efficiency, renewable energy. Are we already talking about investments into mitigating climate change events? Is that happening already? People assuming the climate change will hit us as bad as we think. And there's projects now to mitigate this, meaning? Adaptation. Adaptation. Yes, precisely. Uh, our World Bank group climate change strategy is uh, equally really uh, mitigation, but also the adaptation side. Uh, because like you said, you know, the climate change, we like it or not, is happening. And uh, particularly, you know, lots of the developing countries are the vulnerable ones. Uh, so we have uh, uh, quite a bit adaptation investment, you know, to help the, for example, the disaster uh, relief, uh, is particularly along the coastal cities. And uh, also the, uh, uh, agriculture in, in Africa, for example. So, so we have a quite a bit uh, both sort of a, a policy advice, technical assistance, as well as investment on the adaptation side, in addition to the clean energy and the mitigation side, uh, as well as the transport as well. Yeah. Right. We unfortunately already come to the end of this podcast, but we record here at the site of the Singapore International Energy Week 2018. Um, how well do you think is the the, the slogan, invest, innovate, integrate, aligned to the current problems we've, we see. Yeah, so this uh, slogan really, I think, uh, captured uh, what the action needs to be done. Uh, um, for we, we talk about investment and uh, you know in order to really stabilize emissions uh, and uh, we really would need innovation the innovative technology to come in particularly over the if you look at 2050 time horizon and uh, integrate you know like i mentioned you know we just talk about uh, not just energy right now you integrate urban uh, to transport and this country this city is the great example in the world, right? How you integrate energy, urban, transport together. Uh, uh, so I think uh, uh, Singapore lead in that way to integrate uh, these together towards a low carbon path. Thank you very much, Chadong, for your very interesting insights. It was nice having you here. And to the listeners, that was Xiaodong Wang, Senior Energy Specialist from the World Bank. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this DNVGL Talks Energy podcast. To hear more podcasts in the series, please visit dnvgl.com slash talksenergy.